morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.05 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 16th of October, 2020. This is episode 303 of Bitcoin, and you ain't going to be doing no sell, 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 or buy, buy, buy uh, on OKX exchange, all right? So that's going to be dominating the news uh, pretty much for the rest of the day. I'm going to talk about it on uh, uh, two stories, and that's it today, all right? So uh, also, I mean, I've got a couple of other stories, but honestly, this is, I've said this before, and I end up going an hour anyway. Uh, but this is, I'm going to try to make this a, a shorter show because I got some stuff that needs to get done today. My sister's coming into town, so um, we're going to, this is hopefully going to be a short one. But I want to make sure that I remind you guys about BitcoinEnemies.com. <coughs> it's a mumble chat. And if you've been missing your, our good friend Hodelanot, or otherwise known as Space Cat, Apparently, he's been over there mumbling, mumble chatting with all the people over at BitcoinEnemies.com. Again, that's BitcoinEnemies.com. If you want to go catch a cat by the tail, go over there to BitcoinEnemies.com and mumble chat away. So there you go. Now, this one is interesting. Uh, Christian Decker at Snyke, S-N-Y-K-E. And Christian I've heard his name mentioned uh, many, many, many times over the years. Had no idea that his uh, Twitter handle was Snike. I guess I just didn't see it. Anyway, he uh, uh, released a very short thread uh, that contained some very interesting information. Uh, This was, he actually penned this yesterday at 11 a.m. We've been collecting Lightning Network gossip for quite some time, tracking the network's evolution and sharing the data with academic researchers. Now we're, we are releasing the first LN research data set publicly in the hope of enabling further research. And then he gives a uh, link to the GitHub where the LN research is. And I'll talk about that for a, a, just a little bit. He goes on though. The data sets consist of historical gossip messages that can be used to reconstruct the public network topology at any point in time. We will be releasing regularly updated data sets collected from a number of nodes that I run. If you want to help collect the info, please ping me. Also, if you find these data sets useful or use them for your research, feel free to open a PR on the repo to add your publication. Ping me or ping hashtag LN Research on Twitter to add it. I'm also working on adding some tooling so we can jumpstart your research by abstracting away all the boring parts. Okay, so what the hell is he talking about? What's the gossiping that goes on between nodes as they are communicating with each other? And apparently, they've been able to leverage that shit to basically make maps of what the network looked like, uh, at, like he said, at any point of time. 
and this is going to be this is probably going to be fairly important. However, what worries me is that it's going to be yet one more foray into something like chain analysis, only this time for the Lightning Network. Now, it's not like you didn't see that coming. It's just that, you know, I was kind of hoping not to actually see it happen. But, I mean, I, I, Christian Decker's a good guy. He's not doing that. He's not doing that, <clears throat> or what? he's not doing what he's doing to be an asshole. He's doing what he's doing because he's a human. And as I said on Wednesday's show, humans have a tendency to be data hounds. We don't know why, but there's something fascinating about sifting through large sets of data to find patterns. It's just going to happen, all right? It doesn't make it good or bad. It's just something that humans do. But anyway, what's interesting about the data sets is, or this particular data set, if I go over here to github.com forward slash LN research forward slash topology, you'll find where you can download the data set. It's in this weird GSP uh, format. It's a, like, well, GSP is the file uh, extension. And it's apparently a custom file extension that they built to minimize the size of the data sets. Uh, they, well, they, to, to minimize the size of the data sets, they built a custom file format anyway. Um, what's interesting, because I, I can't really, I, I'm not set up to actually look at the data in a visual way, so I don't know what it looks like. However, there are several Lightning Network visualizations, but they're not probably not going to let you go back into time so that you can see how the network, the topology developed over uh, a period of time. You'll be able to see what the topology looks like right now. But what's interesting about this is that if, you, if I scroll down to the very bottom, there's already been two publications based on, this, uh, on these data sets. One, uh, the site, um, the uh, citation says, Lightning Network, a second path towards centralization of the Bitcoin economy. RXIV preprint uh, is the name of the uh, publication that it's in. It was uh, done by Zhang Hong Lin and everybody else. There's like several authors on that paper. But the second one is really interesting. Philip Zabka and a whole bunch of other authors penned a paper called Node Classification and Geographical Analysis of the Lightning Cryptocurrency Network. And this was published in the 22nd, or, or rather it was, it was presented at the 22nd International Conference on Distributed Computing and Networking, otherwise known as the ICDCN in Nara, Japan, January, or it's good, well, it, January of 2021, which means it's going to be presented at this particular conference. And then there's a PDF of it, and you can, you can download that. But you're talking about an international conference of distributed computing that's been going on for over two decades, and they're talking about the Lightning Network. You might want to let that sink in just a, you know, just a little bit. Anyway, both the publications that I just read are available in PDF format. Uh, from that particular uh, repository. Uh, I would recommend going and, and reading at least the one that's talking about the uh, Lightning Network, uh, that the, the paper that's going to be presented in NARA Japan uh, this coming January. So anyway, that's pretty much all there is for community news. Let's jump right on into the actual news. And no, I'm not going to start with the OKX. We'll get to it, guys. We'll get to it. Even more Satoshi-era Bitcoin moves. So what the hell's going on? Liam Frost is going to tell us. He's writing this for Decrypt.co on October the 14th. 
um, says another batch of 50 Bitcoin that has been lying dormant since 2010 and is worth around $570,000 today was moved according to blockchain.com. Okay. The Block Explorer's data shows that these 50 coins were first transferred to the address on November the 9th, 2010 as a Coinbase transaction. This means the Bitcoin was a block reward received by a miner. The wallet hadn't received or sent any other transactions until today. The only exception is a scant amount of dust BTC that was sent to the address in late August as part of a spam-like transaction aimed at over 300 different wallets. Most likely, that was a so-called dusting attack, primarily used by malicious actors to trace BTC movements. <coughs> Today, the coins have been transferred to three different addresses, two BEC32, which is SegWit, and one P2SH, mainly used for multi-sig and non-native SegWit transactions. The transfers were 30.16, 12.48, and 7.34 BTC in size. Upon confirmation, the new wallet split the coins into two to three additional transactions each and sent them further down the line. As Decrypt reported, increasingly more coins from the earliest days of Bitcoin are waking up lately. Since the start of October, two large caches, one of 50 BTC size and another of 1,000 BTC size, were moved out of their deep slumber. Prior to that, another batch of 50 BTC was transferred in May, yet not everyone thinks this is a big deal. Referring to today's movements of coins, Ingo Fiedler, co-founder of Blockchain Research Lab, told Decrypt, quote, those coins were minted nearly two years after the network launch. I would not consider them Satoshi-era Bitcoin and do not see any significance in them moving. It's not as though Satoshi is returning, right? Okay. Uh, Satoshi era, it's probably a, a good time to kind of break down what what I have heard several people refer to as Satoshi era. Generally speaking, the majority of the people that I hear talk about that are talking about the era in which Satoshi was still actively involved in Bitcoin and posting things to Bitcoin talk and writing emails and communicating with other members of the development community. And then all of a sudden in what was it? 2011, he was just gone. Once Gavin, I can't remember who it was. I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was Gavin Andreessen uh, decided that he was going to go stooly over at the CIA as a, give a presentation. And the minute, the literal second that he emailed or, or communicated publicly with Satoshi that he was going to go do that. Satoshi gave him the keys to the car and said, bye-bye, I'm gone. And he was never heard from again. Not once, not yet, and probably not ever. Just gone. And next thing you know, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Gavin Andreessen took over the reins and then screwed everything up and became a pariah and all that kind of shit. So the Satoshi era ends the day that Satoshi stopped communicating with the crowd. Okay, so like the day after that last transmission that Satoshi made, that's the end of the Satoshi era. That's what they're talking about here. Some people consider it, <clears throat> um, consider the, uh, the Satoshi era slightly smaller. Some consider it longer. Doesn't really matter because Schnorr and Taproot upgrade proposal was merged into Bitcoin Core. So we are moving on. Andrew Yang, writing this one yesterday for BTC Times, says, The implementation of the Schnorr Taproot consensus rules has been merged into Bitcoin Core 
However, the upgrades activation method has yet to be determined. Okay, we are we are dangerously close to exactly where we were with SegWit. All right, it gets merged in. It's in the code. Your next upgrade will have Schnorr and Taproot in it, but it's going to be the activation. Okay, I don't know if we're in for a fight or not. There's a lot of people who say that this is just going to fly through. I don't know. I haven't heard. I mean, at this point, I think, I remember in the Block Wars, I think even before Segwit was merged, no, Segwit was, had been in for a long time, and it was that's what it was. And we were just waiting and waiting and waiting for activation, and that's when we really started having some serious, serious issues with block block size debates. In either event, we are we're back here. Will we go through the same thing again? I don't know. It's impossible to tell. But one thing is for sure, a lot of the people that were bitching and moaning about the block size and wanted an increase have forked off of the network and they have their own shit. So maybe, just maybe, we can avoid that mess again. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Let's continue. The pull request was originally created by Bitcoin Core contributor Peter Woola on September the 13th and has gone through extensive review and testing over the past month. Over 150 developers also participated in a seven-week review club for the proposal, which was led by Anthony Towns back in November of 2019. This upgrade has been highly anticipated due to its potential to increase Bitcoin's smart contract capabilities while simultaneously benefiting its transaction, or sorry, its transactional privacy. So what are Schnorr and Taproot? Well, Schnorr is an alternative algorithm to ECDSA, which is currently used to generate cryptographic signatures. Schnorr signatures would enable the flexible creation and execution of multi-signature transactions by combining signatures. This provides added privacy as multi-signature transactions would become indistinguishable from regular Bitcoin transactions. Taproot, is the specific method in which Schnorr signatures will be leveraged to realize a privacy-preserving smart contract solution. It was first proposed by former Blockstream CTO Gregory Maxwell in the Bitcoin dev mailing list. Since then, several iterations have taken place, leading to the pull request that was merged today. Okay, momentum is quickly picking up for Schnorr and Taproot, the merge comes only one month after Schnorr was added to the Bitcoin Core LibSec P256K1 library as the BTC Times previously reported. <coughs> BIP8 would force the activation of Taproot after a signaling period for miners. The proposal was slightly modified from BIP9, which would require a 95 supermajority, resulting in a potential attack vector for a small minority of miners to halt the entire process. The modern soft fork activation is a significantly more complicated and extensive method of activation, which allows for a 12-month signaling period, followed by a 6-month discussion period, as well as the potential to initiate a BIP-8 type activation method over a 24-month period. At this point, there is no fixed timeline with regards to the implementation of Schnorr and Taproot. Discussions regarding the upgrades integration currently taking place in the ha uh, hashtag Taproot uh, hyphen activation channel on IRC. Again, if you want to get into that, that's hashtag Taproot hyphen activation on IRC. And oh my God, I, 
IRC. Wow, that's some ancient tech. Right there. Sorry, I had to get some coffee here. Um, so you're, we're looking at quite. We're looking at a while. Uh, anywhere between twelve, eighteen, and well, I guess twelve. What eighteen months and somewhere between eighteen and twenty-four months. So. Who knows what the hell happens? That's a long time to be sitting there baking. But, hey, you know, moving fast and breaking things on a $200 billion network is probably not the way to go. Crypto exchange OKX's founder has been taken away by police. It literally says taken away. And that's actually in the update of this piece by Tim Copeland for Decrypt.co, clearly written sometime this morning. The update says... And this is interesting. The article previously said that Zoo, the the guy that in question here, the article previously said that Zoo was arrested. However, a more precise translation of the article is that he was, quote, taken away by police, end quote. We have updated the article to reflect this. Okay, so there's there's where the taken away by police comes from. It's actually the translation. So let's get into this one from Tim. The founder of OKX. Zhu Mingjing has been taken away by police. Taken taken away, bro, according to local reports. As Decrypt reported, the exchange suspended withdrawals today, apparently because police are talking to, quote, key holders, it said in a statement. Just going to read that again because you need to mentally prepare yourself for this shit, okay? As Decrypt reported, the exchange suspended withdrawals of your Bitcoin today, because police are talking to the key holders of your Bitcoin, it said in a statement. Right? Not your keys, not your coins. Somebody takes away the key holder of your coins to go and question them. You ain't doing dick with your Bitcoin. So again, you get your shit off of the exchanges. Quote, one of our private key holders is currently cooperating with the Public Security Bureau in investigations where required, end quote, the company said in a statement, adding, quote, we have been out of touch with the concerned private key holder. As such, the associated authorization could not be completed, end quote. This is not the first time that Zoo has spoken to police. In September of 2018, he cooperated with authorities over accusations of fraud regarding a small cap cryptocurrency. OKX is one of China's three biggest exchanges with more than $6 billion in daily trading volume. Uh, According to Glassnode, the exchange holds around 200,000 Bitcoin, which equates to about $2.3 billion in its wallets, which is around 1.1% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin, an amount of Bitcoin that will remain locked up until withdrawals are reopened. Ooh, so... One key holder pretty much crashes the network as far as we can tell. I mean, this is out of China, so all the information here is going to be damn sketchy. But we know that, you know, he's probably, you know, holding one of the keys. He is talking to the police. And we do know that nobody can, right now, nobody can withdraw. Although, as always, you can deposit, as was shown by a whale alert I saw about 30 minutes ago that said somebody decided to take like almost a thousand BTC out of Huobi and send it to OKX. I'm serious, man. After, after everybody knew withdrawals were, were, were shut. 
Okay. You can't, he's sending it basically to be locked up. I don't know why the person is sending a thousand BTC over to OKX. This is not the time to be, you know, to open up your, your laptop and start trading like a freaking degenerate fiend. All right. Especially not on OKX, but be that as it may, people do strange shit all the time. I, I, I don't know why, but this is going on. So get all of your coins off the exchanges. I get the feeling that we're going to see, I'm pretty sure we're probably going to see a winter. I don't know if that exactly how much the price is going to be affected with all, with so much institutional interest now being generated and exchanges being kind of knocked over one by one. I, I don't know if we're looking for a whole shit ton of sideways movement or not. I don't know what we're looking at. I, I know I'm going to hold because this is, we got to do something. We got to get out of this mess that the world's in. And this seems to me to be the only way that we can effectively do it. And I think this, these are the shots from governments across the world that are finally figuring it out that this really will screw them up if they don't do something about it. And the only thing that they can figure out how to do under their legal framework is to go after exchanges. That's the only thing that I can figure. So hodl hodl is a decentralized exchange. I'd re- if you really need to be degenerate and, and trade a bunch of tokens, talk to hodl 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 um, because they are actually a pretty good Bitcoin company, even though we are talking about a whole bunch of ICOs and altcoins and stuff to be traded on there. There's a couple of other ones, but I, I at this point, you know, I'm just wondering when they're going to come. Well, I don't know if they can come after Kraken or not, considering that Kraken is now going to is a regulated bank in, in Wyoming. So I don't know what's going to happen to Kraken, but all the like BitMEX is down. Well, it's not down, but BitMEX got pinged. OKX got pinged. Um, who's 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 uh, good God. CZ, I mean, when when is he going to start talking to the cops? When is his private key going to up and leave and not be able to be used to withdraw your Bitcoin? Just saying, man. So now <clears throat> about the the about this key thing, okay? The fact that you can't do it. There's a there's a story by Amentius Zamatis, and he wrote this or she wrote this. I don't know uh, for CryptoNews.com on October the fourteenth. Okay, so. This one is, this is how BitMEX juggled private keys amid crackdown. Was written two days before OKX guy and his private key goes and talks to the cop and nobody can get their shit out, right? It seems, it's, I, I, I'm not tinfoil hatting it. I'm just saying this is, this is why this particular story is completely related to the OKX thing. So let's see what, uh, what this person has to say. Major crypto derivatives exchange BitMEX avoided solvency problems and managed to process all of its users' withdrawals on time to remain solvent and in operation after a recent crackdown by the United States legal system. So how did the custodian manage the fallout? As reported, BitMEX founder Arthur Hayes, Samuel Reed, and Ben Dello were charged with running an unregistered trading platform in multiple Bank Secrecy Act violations on the 1st of October. Samuel Reed was arrested on the same day, but later released on a $5 million USD uh, or 5 million, sorry, $5 million US appearance bond. After the indictment, the platform has seen a substantial drop in both open interest and balances held in its custody. And all three founders have stepped down from all executive management responsibilities at BitMEX's parent company, 100X Group. As per 
the latest state of the network issue by crypto intelligence firm Coinmetrics, BitMEX uses a three of four key multi-signature address for the cold storage of its customer funds. And the withdrawals are processed around 1 p.m. UTC on a daily basis. Three keys are owned by its founders, while one, so-called vanity key, is generated to sign outgoing transactions. As such, only two of three signatures are needed for withdrawals from the platform. <coughs> Knowing this, Coinmetrics said it was able to make an educated guess about the withdrawals after the crackdown. Note that BitMEX made four additional withdrawal batches between October 1 and October the 2nd, presumably. The key A belonged to Samuel Reed as it didn't sign on October the 1st, and he was in custody. The red, <coughs> the red dates, the, okay, hold on. They're, right above this is a graph that on the x-axis is BitMEX withdraw batch at the time in UTC, and the y-axis is keys used to sign. So there's founder key A, founder key B, founder key C, and then the vanity key. The vanity key signed all, let's see, one, two, three. There's 19 transactions here. And um, let's see, the vanity key signed all of them. Uh, the founder key A signed like a couple at the very, very first, but almost none after, you know, afterwards. Uh, so on the 28th of September, 29th and 30th of September, founder key A signed transactions. And then after that, signed almost no transactions. Whereas founder key C signed almost no transactions at the very first, like the 28th, 29th and 30th, there was nothing signed. And then after that, that key signed almost everything. So it's an interesting graphic as to looking at um, the dates of which these guys were able to get their stuff or get y'all stuff out. Anyway, so the red dates, there are a few red dates, uh, uh, mark additional off-schedule withdrawals that were made to reassure the BitMEX users. And there are in fact four red dates, which mean, like it said, those red dates are dates that don't, you know, and times that don't normally occur for the withdrawals. All of these are 1 p.m. The red one, all the black ones dates are, are at 1 p.m. And then there's uh, these four red dates. And there's one at 5 p.m., one at 12 a.m., one at 8 a.m., and then another one at 10 p.m. And those were all, let's see, on the first, and there was the 5 p.m. one was the October the 1st. And then there's three other irregular withdraws on the 2nd of October. So <clears throat> for me, that was a big kind of like screw you to the authorities that had had, had a, uh, done the indictments and arrested Samuel Reed. Anyway, so presumably the A key belonged to Samuel Reed as it didn't sign on October the 1st when he was in custody. The red dates marked additional off-schedule withdrawals that were made to reassure the BitMEX users, quote, the fact that all three founder keys have signed following the publication of the filings is reassuring for traders with funds on BitMEX. Had Mr. Reed not been released on bail, any inca incapacitation of the two remaining founders could have meant a freeze of all funds on the platform, stated the report, end quote. According to the analysis, it remains unknown, quote, whether the founder keys have already changed ownership since the publication of the filings, but the fact that all three original founders stepped down from their executive roles may indicate that such transition has already happened. 
BitMEX has yet to respond to our earlier request for comment on the matter. Meanwhile, the derivatives exchange has lost approximately 4% of its market share while its competitors have risen in popularity. Regardless, it is unlikely that market regulators will stop its crackdown with BitMEX as more unregistered exchanges are likely to be indicted in the near future, which might lead to solvency problems at other crypto custodians, the report concluded. Quote, as many as many precedents like, uh, or sorry, as many precedents like Mt. Gox or Quadriga CX show, it is just a question of time until the arrest or death of crypto custodians triggers another solvency problem. They said, as the old adage goes, not your keys, not your coins. Get them off. Let's run the numbers. Energy futures, uh, cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities. We got oil. West Texas is down almost a point. Brenton or C is down a little bit over a point. Natural gas is up a scant 0.18%. Metals, let's see. We got gold going to come in at $1,913. Good Lord, $1,913. Jeez, that means it's up about a quarter of a point. Silver is up a point and a quarter. Uh, platinum is up, eh, no, you know, it's meh, it's basically sideways as platinum is wont to be. Let's look at indexes. Okay, no, we are not saved. Uh, everything is in the green, but it's like meh. Dow futures up a quarter. S&P futures up a quarter. NASDAQ futures up a third. Uh, S&P mini is up yet a third. But real money awaits. Bitcoin is at $11,314. We have a high at, yeah, it's going to be GDAX this time at $11,326.97. And I got a low at hit BTC, 11303 So not much wiggle room there. 337,000 transactions have occurred in the last 24 hours. That's 14,000 transactions on average per hour, processing 2.5 million BTC in the last 24 hours. That's about 105,500 BTC sent on average every hour. Average transaction value is 7.5 BTC, while the median transaction is still high at 0.047 BTC. That's about $532. Block times are substantially lower. They're at 9 minutes and 21 seconds. 0.47 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis. And uh, not, well, how much? 73.8 BTC have been taken in fees over on the last 24 hours. We've had a 3% dip in the hash rate, and we are back down to 142.5 exahashes per second. Ethereum is at 365.5, Bcash at 252, Litecoin at 46, $47, BSV at 160. Ethereum Classic at $5 and a quarter. Dogecoin holding at 0.0026. That's 37,000 transactions in the last 24 hours for Dogecoin. And that means that it walks all over Ethereum Classic and Bitcoin Cash. Although Bcash has seen kind of a surge. They're back up at 20,000 transactions over the last 24 hours. But neither one of those matches Litecoin at 127,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Might please somebody tell me what's going on with Litecoin. I really want to know. 
Clark Moody is looking at a price of 11326 bucks. Okay. So in the Lightning Network, there are 1,067.42 BTC. That's $12.1 million of liquidity. That's spread across 7,523 nodes, uh, utilizing 36,360 channels. Tor capacity is holding at 49.9%. That means that there's 532.6 BTC in that side of the network. And that's running over 2,477 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Well, in the annals of these are not the droids you're looking for, we have this one out of uh, BTC Times. Andrew Yang writing that Coinbase is to sponsor open source Bitcoin development. This is probably not the grant, the uh, branding grant that you want here, but hey, support is support. Coinbase is finally, finally looking to sponsor two Bitcoin developers through their crypto community fund for the first time the company announced on Thursday. Quote, Unlike most cryptocurrency projects, Bitcoin launched without a fundraise while bootstrapping an entire industry. The open source community has provided critical support for Bitcoin development with some support from donations from industry organizations and academic institutions. Our goal is to similarly support developers who are committed to growing and maintaining the Bitcoin ecosystem Coinbase shared in their blog post. Mm. Yeah, that's, you know, this thing's been going on for... Coinbase has been going on for a while, and it's just now that they're uh, going to sponsor anybody. That's that you know honestly that's that's not encouraging in my opinion. I mean, gr okay, granted, it's great that they're going to release a couple of grants, but I mean, after all this time, if if it hadn't have been for for Bitcoin, Coinbase wouldn't even exist. It wouldn't have happened, and it, they they're taking all this time all of this time before they finally float a measly, a few measly hundred thousand dollars to a couple of developers. You know, this, I don't know, man, this sounds like, like they really don't care that they're just doing it because everybody else is. While the goal is to focus on longer year, <clears throat> sorry, longer year long developer grants, the firm is also encouraging shorter term projects to apply as well for years. Members of the community have criticized Coinbase for claiming to have profited greatly from Bitcoin, but not giving back to open source Bitcoin development. This was something Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, had admitted to failing to execute on before, but committed to look into it again in an interview with Peter McCormack on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. This year, Coinbase joins the ranks of notable cryptocurrency companies directly sponsoring open source Bitcoin development, such as BitMEX, OKCoin, and Square. And has been mostly well-received by many in the industry. Quote, this is great, commented Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter and Square. Quote, welcome to the Bitcoin developer community. We're so happy to see other exchanges joining this effort. End quote, said OKCoin. Okay, However, there are some who are still skeptical about the intentions of the sponsorship. <laughs> Requesting that Coinbase hire Bitcoin Core contributor Luke Dash Jr. without any ultimatums. This comment was in reference when Coinbase had previously attempted to sponsor Bitcoin development in 2018 under the condition that they direct all the development necessarily, including work on random altcoins. According to Luke Dash Jr., former Coinbase executive Dan Romero had deleted the tweet Luke was responding to. All right. 
the uh, the announcement comes at the heels of a recent controversy surrounding Brian Armstrong's blog post announcing the broader societal issues will be off topic for Coinbase employees. Developers interested in applying for a grant can apply here and apply here is a link. So, you know, if you want to be branded that you got your money from Coinbase, you know, you're taking your life in your hands in the community because there's, I guarantee you, it does not matter who you are. There's going to be a certain segment of the population that's going to eat you alive. Now, I, okay, so I get it. Money is money. Does it matter where it comes from in reality? No, not really. But there, you know, I would be concerned too. Like if you were to accept this grant, are you going to be forced to work on altcoins? You know, it says it's a Bitcoin grant. We presume that means that the grant is entirely going to fund a developer to work on nothing except Bitcoin. But I mean, I haven't read. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I'm looking at the apply here thing um to see okay let's read this it's not it's actually not all that long so this is the uh, google doc for the apply here link and it says crypto community fund bitcoin developer grants now here's the here's the description the coinbase crypto community fund provides grants starting with bitcoin core development and closely related projects uh -uh. The fund is available for developers around the world where legally permissible and is meant to support full-time development. Example projects we might support. Direct contributions to Bitcoin Core, e.g. testing, fuzzing, bug fixes, improvements. Significant code and or BIP review. Contributor tooling, e.g. BitcoinX.com or similar open source tool. Bitcoin Core libraries and tools like the LibSec uh, P256K1, improvement to testing, fuzz testing, functional tests. And that's it. To apply, fill out the short questionnaire below, and then it gives a whole bunch of stuff that you expect from Google Docs. So, don't know. Still don't know. We'll find out, I suppose. <coughs> but double tap, Dan Tapiero expects a massive Bitcoin shortage. He says, quote, shorts will be dead. This is Joseph Young writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. In recent months, there has been a considerable spike in institutional demand for Bitcoin following several high-profile investments. Overtime asset manager and attendee holdings co-founder Dan Tapiero believes this could lead to a problematic shortage in BTC. Alongside investments from Square, MicroStrategy, and Stone Ridge, Bitcoin inflows to grayscale Bitcoin trust have surged. Based on the rapid growth of institutional investments, Tapiero warns that short sellers could see trouble in the future. In the third quarter of 2020, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust recorded an inflow of $1.05 billion. This marked the first billion-dollar quarter and also highlights record high institutional demand. The firm's quarterly report reads, quote, Grayscale recorded its largest ever quarterly inflows of over $1 billion in the third quarter of 2020, making it the third consecutive record-breaking quarter. Year-to-date, investment into the Grayscale family of products has surpassed $2.4 billion, more than double the $1.2 billion cumulative inflow into the products from 2013 to 2019. End quote. The timing of Grayscale's record-breaking quarter is noteworthy because it comes several months after BTC price dropped below $3,600. 
On March the 13th, Bitcoin fell to 3,600 after a billion dollars worth of futures contracts were liquidated. BTC has steadily recovered ever since, eventually rising above 12,500 in early September. Institutional demand for Bitcoin surged rapidly after what is now referred to as one of Bitcoin's steepest falls in recent history, and this indicates institutions see staying power. Considering the continuous increase in grayscale inflow from institutional investors, Tapiero said, quote, shortages of Bitcoin possible. Barry's grayscale trust is eating up BTC like there's no tomorrow. If 77% of all newly mined turns into 110%, it's lights out. Non-miner supply will get held off market and squeeze. Shorts will be dead. Price can go to any number, end quote. Damn, Dan. The speculation about a potential supply-side crisis around Bitcoin also coincides with the post-halving cycle. Bitcoin went through its third halving in May, on May the 11th, and historically, halvings lead to an extended bull run in the next two years after that. The halvings have proven to have a direct impact on BTC price, especially over the long term, as the rate at which the remaining BTC supply is introduced to the market slows down. Bitcoin has a fixed supply of 21 million, and as with each halving, the amount of BTC miners can produce decreases. Hence, fewer BTC are available in the market to purchase every four years. In 2016, it took Bitcoin from around 15 months to reach a peak after the second halving. If a similar pattern follows, a year from the most recent halving would be around the third quarter of 2021. Coincidentally, the current post-halving cycle is being met with unprecedented institutional demand. Yeah. I don't like Dan Tapiero, but I, I have to agree with what he's saying here. Because this is like, this is going to be a squeeze that, uh, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing the uh, knocking over of um, exchanges. And yet at the same time, we're seeing record-breaking quarters from Square, Grayscale, uh, as it concerns their, their, Bitcoin, their Bitcoin stuff. And now you've got, you know, Paul Tudor Jones in the mix. You got MicroStrategy coming in. You got Snappa HQ buying shit. You got freaking, you got the Tahini's restaurant chain in Canada that, that's piling into BTC. It's just it it could be really ugly. I don't know what it's going to look like, but honestly, I just floor is set. Max Kaiser, Bitcoin's hash rate will continue to soar as faith in fiat dwindles. Uh this is BTC Times. Will Heisman is writing this one yesterday. Bitcoin's hash rate uh hit its zenith this week, which according to Matt Kaiser, Max Kaiser could signify the beginning of the end for fiat. Bitcoin's hash rate has annexed approximately 60% of its total hash rate since the halving in May, climbing from a seven-day simple moving average to 90 exahashes per second to a record high of 144.8 exahashes on October the 14th. This year's hashing lull came shortly after Bitcoin's quadrennial halving as miners, retail miners capitulated in the face of warning margins, <coughs> sorry, waning margins, but that didn't deter network participants. Soon, a Bitcoin's hash rate bounced back and now appears healthier than ever. And that could be a prelude to further price action. The theory goes that since the higher the hash rate, the more secure the network becomes, and thus the more confidence investors and miners have in Bitcoin, a point that Bitcoin bull and broadcaster Max Kaiser has been arguing for the better half of a decade. Kaiser told the BTC Times, quote, 
price follows hash rate. Price is a lagging indicator for the BTC protocol. End quote. For Kaiser, however, Bitcoin's ever-trending hash rate isn't just a health metric or price barometer. It's a measure of adoption and increasing disillusion with the financial system. Quote, price only tells you how badly fiat money is doing in the world. Hash rate tells you how much the available global energy Bitcoin is using. As we head towards hyper-Bitcoinization, price becomes immaterial because there will no longer be any fiat left to price BTC against and gold will get marginalized, he explains. Kaiser maintains that Bitcoin's global energy use uh, will likely continue its steady climb until Bitcoin becomes the dominant user of all the available energy in the world. While Bitcoin's domination of global energy reserves is likely a while off, there may be some credence to Kaiser's forecast. Underpinning Bitcoin's hash rate ascent has been news of entire countries encouraging the miners, mining sector, luring bu- businesses in with rock-bottom electricity tariffs and government initiatives. In September, Kazakhstan proposed extending or expanding its mining uh, sector with a $715 million investment in a bid to transform the country into a Bitcoin mining hub. Just weeks later, Iran made a similar move to ramp up its revenue by auctioning surplus, uh, surplus energy exclusively to Bitcoin mining. Quote, the BTC protocol has an insatiable hunger for energy, and this is what backs BTC. Not energy itself, but the underlying design factor hard-coded into the Genesis block that guarantees every other form of money, all fiat, all altcoins, and even gold itself will get crowded out and starved of energy, said Kaiser. And according to Kaiser, fiat's demise isn't the only calamity Bitcoin hedges against. Quote, additionally, rogue AI will also get starved of critical energy. Wow. BTC is our stalwart against an AI takeover of our species. End quote. If saving the world from self-aware AI doesn't incentivize Bitcoin miners, nothing will. No, Bitcoin miners don't give a freaking shit about self-aware AI, honestly. And nobody knows where that one's going, but hey, you know, Max, you, he's getting a little bit on the on the tinfoil hat side. I still like Max. Seems like a great guy, but some of this is a little outlandish, but we'll have to see. I mean, Max could be completely right. One thing that I do hope he's right about is the energy usage crowding out all the crap, the fiat, uh, the altcoins. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to gold. I've never been against gold. I, I'm, I don't think it's relevant during uh, this day and time to actually be sending pallets of gold uh, because the cost, oh my God, the poundage alone versus its value should make your ass cringe when you look at shipping cost and then you have to guard it. You have to get insurance on it while it's in transit. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but whatever. Let's move on. Uh, Trustless wrapped Bitcoin is coming to Polkadot as early as 2021. George Georgeviv, or however you pronounce his name, is writing for Crypto Potato sometime yesterday. Polkadot is one of the biggest cryptocurrency projects. Currently ranked 8 in terms of total market cap. Now the team has revealed that trustless wrapped Bitcoin will come to its ecosystem as early as 2021 through Interlay, a framework designed to, fo- to allow permissioned and permissionless blockchains to connect and interact. Known as Interlay, the framework has been under development since 2018 and aims at allowing various permissioned and permissionless blockchains to interact and connect seamlessly. According to a new release, 
It's set out to introduce Polkadot's first trustless wrapped Bitcoin in early 2021 called Polka BTC. Polka, 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 Polka. It's aimed at making critical steps towards an entirely interoperable ecosystem. Previously, Interlay had released a technical spec and a working POC implementation. Following a successful pilot project, the team is now ex- expediting efforts to complete the BTC parachain in the first quarter of next year. It also fun- It's also funded by a follow-up grant provided by the Web3 Foundation. <coughs> That's all we really need to know about that shit. Because then this particular story by George talks about the increasing amount of BTC on Ethereum. I'm going to correct this guy yet one more time. There's no such thing as Bitcoin on the Ethereum network. It's impossible. If you think that it's not impossible, then take one BTC from cold storage and send it to an Ethereum address. And a wrapped BTC address is an actual BTC address. Okay. You send it to an Ethereum address. See what happens. See what happens. The wrapped BTC is an IOU, but yet when you send your BTC to that address to get your wrapped BTC, guess what? The Bitcoin still remains on the Bitcoin network. It's not actually over on Ethereum. Stop lying to people. Okay? The reason I read you the story about freaking Polkadot is because they're doing the same thing. What they said is, hey, if Ethereans can lie to make a shit ton of money fooling people into thinking that their BTC is going to go to the Ethereum network, which it's not because that's a lie, then hey, why can't we? How come we can't just go ahead and scam people? And this is where humanity for me just breaks down. I Honestly, don't we have better things to do with our time than to just shit all over each other? I mean, is that... I have a tendency to think that maybe the creation of the universe was not centered on humans being able to take giant dumps on each other. Maybe, you know, maybe you should stop scamming your brother and your sister. I'm just saying, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. And honestly, I'm not going to do a joke today because nothing is going to be funny today. I guarantee it. Uh, With the whole OKX thing, there's going to be FUD all around. You're going to have to fight it. There's going to be wrapped Bitcoin is more than lightning network and all that kind of stuff. We got our work cut out for us uh, for today and the weekend. You got to combat the FUD, man. You got to combat the FUD. With that, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.